you know, there's all kinds of scenes that I respond to in movies. I respond to music sequences. Uh, I respond to big comedy sequences. It was like uh, they galvanized the, the entire theater. Everybody uh, woke up. Everybody got connected. And, you know, and I would go see a, a, a film that had a, a, a sequence like that. I would see it two or three times at the theaters just to see that sequence. And then just to have that experience uh, uh, with an audience. Welcome to Making Tarantino the Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Duke, and I'm here once again with his cousin Chip. Hello, everybody. Right. Guess who's back? Back again. And on this podcast, we watch and discuss a list of movies that Quentin Tarantino recommends and see if they've influenced his work, but basically to see what they're all about. Yes. So to start the show off, I hate to start off at a low point, but Tony Bennett passed away. Yeah. But he lived a long, big, good life. Mm. And then uh, today, Sinead O'Connor passed away. So uh, they still don't know what it was from. But the, from her last post that she wrote was like she's devastated. After her child died, her yeah. son, she's devastated. So but who knows what it is? I know what not to do, Chip, from what I learned that we'll get into in this movie. Something about an actor on here that um, I always thought was gay. OK, Anthony Perkins and then all of a sudden I read something that he, which is in our facts that he had an affair with Victoria principal, him and her like dated for a little bit. One of our uh, listeners said that he uh, lost his virginity to her. Oh, which, wow. so I was always thinking, Oh, he died of AIDS complications and that he was gay all of his life. Yeah. But I found out, no, he was married to a girl named Barry uh, Berenson mm -hmm. and that he, but, the sad thing was he went to one of those conversion therapy things uh, and it was like, that's what, when I read about it today, I read about him and I'm like, Oh man, like, does that mean like he wasn't who he, who he is like, be who you yeah. are. Don't be someone else. Yeah. be true. Anyway, so yeah. that's why I didn't want to say Sinead O'Connor, probably suicide. We don't know. Yeah. We're not her. Who knows? Anyway, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. After subscribing, leave us a review, please. Someone read it. Leave us a review. Ready, Apple. Somewhere. Ready, please. That's right. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, sometimes on Facebook. And now let's get on with the show unless you have anything else to say. Not really. No. All right. We don't really have a TV spot, but what I do have <gasps> is an interview. So if you've read... Cinema Speculations by Quentin Tarantino. You've read the Rolling Thunder episode or chapter where he said he went and called John Flynn on the phone. Was like, are you the John Flynn that directed Rolling Thunder? And John Flynn's like, yeah, why? He's like, I'm writing a book. Can I come and interview you? He's like, sure. So he went to his house, brought a tape recorder, recorded, but only brought one tape. So he had to just keep flipping it over, felt embarrassed, kept talking to the guy. And then later he went and met John Melius. And this is like in 82. So this is 11 years before 11, 10, 10 years before, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. And he's just interviewing all these people. So it's really interesting. So I'm going to read. I don't know where my glasses went. I just had them. <laughs> so I'm going to read an interview that. So forgive me if you think it's a little long, people. 
but mm. it's really good. It's really informative for this movie. And um, and it's uh, Quentin Tarantino interviewing John Millies. So this was on the New Beverly website, but it has since been since been taken down. But I found it on the interwebs. So Sweet. here we go. Tarantino on Milius, 1982. This interview with writer-director John Milius was conducted when I was 20 years old, and boy, does it show. The last time he had done, last thing he had done at the time was Conan the Barbarian. I just called up his assistant and told her I was writing a book, and she set me up with an interview with him. I met with him twice for the interview. The first time was in his office on the Paramount lot. The second time was on the set of the film Uncommon Valor which he was producing. He told me he didn't want Gene Hackman for the lead. He wanted James Arness. Later, I was to become friends with Big John. At the beginning of 95, before the Academy Awards, I was taken duck hunting by John Milius, Steven Spielberg, and Robert Zemeckis. John and I sat in a duck blind all day, sipping whiskey out of a flask, talking about movies, and shooting the tail feathers off of ducks. This is only part of it. Later, I'll transcribe more. Okay, so QTJM. So I'm going to try to read it. I don't know if I can read like Quentin Tarantino or John Milius, but here we go. <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino starts. Starting off, I'd like you to know The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean is my favorite screenplay. Gee, thank you. I really like that too. I hope you read my screenplay. The screenplay is much, much better than the movie. Now, you received sole credit on the screenplay, but I heard you say in interviews that John Houston ruined your screenplay. Well, he made me do all the writing. The director, Judge Roy Bean, John Houston, is what they have in parenthetical. But he'd say, I want you to do this and that, mostly out of, a, in, out of inattention. So he was just like, go do this or go rewrite the whatever. Um, if you would have directed it as you intended, how would it have been different? It would have been a lot different. The movie now is kind of a poor man's Butch Cassidy or something. I think it has a lack of commitment. Totally. It doesn't really look like one thing or another. All the people, I adore Paul Newman. I think he's a wonderful actor, but I don't think he would ever be the best choice for Judge Roy Bean and on and on. All the characters, the people who play little parts in the movie, little cameos and things. The look of the movie was never quite right to me. There's a tone to the movie. It's a very kind of fritzy, almost, I hate to say it, a Beverly Hills Western. There's a feeling to it now that wasn't there originally. It's a much stronger movie in the screenplay. So to take us out of this interview for a second. So I went and I read the entire screenplay. Oh, and it is really good. It reads like a book. Mm. John Milius writes like you could see where Quentin Tarantino gets his style from. John oh. Milius writes all the feelings and all the little things of like, here's when the photo got when there's a montage of photos, like, you know, he explains that mm. he explains about, you know, all this. And we'll get into the differences when we talk about the movie. But the ending was totally different. It's really cool. But oh, wow. anyway. In the script, it's a very down and dirty blood and guts type of Western, is what Quentin said. It was a very harsh movie. But now they have all these cameos. This star comes walking in. Yeah, all that stuff was in the screenplay. 
that these characters narrated. There was a terrific amount of humor in the original screenplay, more humor than was in this one, the movie. But it still had a feel that was closer to, say, a Sergio Leone movie. Sort of like Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, closer to that than what it is. Uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly would probably be a good example. When most people think of you, they think Mr. Macho. (laughs) Now, isn't that a terrible thing? It seems like any time a critic reviews one of your films, before they say a word, word one about the movie, they refer to you as Mr. Macho, bloodthirsty or something like that. When Time Magazine interviewed, reviewed, sorry, Conan the Barbarian, it was either Time or Newsweek. They referred to you as the Pex bad boy of the USC mob. Milius lets out an uproarious laugh. I don't, I don't mind being the Pex bad boy. I'll take that. I like that a lot better than Mr. Macho. I was called by Andrew Saris, a gifted barbarian. But I don't suppose I can have that title anymore since I made Conan the Barbarian. Well, an offset of that in Judge Roy Bean is that the judge is extremely romantic. First, there's the way he feels and speaks about Lily Langtree. Then there's a scene in the desert with Maria Elena. And he asks her what she wants. And she says, I'd like a box. You open it and it makes song. He says, you mean a music box? Well, I'll get you a pipe organ. Then he sings the Yellow Rose of Texas to her. He's old and crusty, but in this his own way, romantic and eloquent. I'm a hopeless romantic. That's the one thing I am above everything else. All my movies are filled with rapid romanticism, which is very true. I was thinking of that the other day. Hmm. Um, The last scene when Lily Langtree reads the letter of the judge wrote is just beautiful. That was much better in the script because in the script, he comes back and there's this big gunfight. He wasn't a ghost like he was in the movie. He comes back, this old beaten man. And his daughter's in trouble with all the new elements in the town, which were much better portrayed in the script, much more realistic and detailed. There is a bad element in the town. Unlike the movie, she's not this tough girl who's going to shoot it out with everybody. But he comes back and she never knows it's him. And single handedly, this drunken old man goes down and wipes all these guys out and gets killed and only Tector. And then Quentin says the Ned Beatty character. Yes, is left alive. And I know it was him. And he and I know is left alive and knows it was him. Sorry. And he puts him in a pine box the next day or two. And is when Lily Langtree comes to town, the coffin is being put on the train and she reads the letter. I remember there's a whole thing I love about she's reading the letter and there's a couple of guys arguing about whether or not to put the box on the train in the heat because it's going to stink, whether or not to put the put it in the back of the train or in the front. It's the hero of the movie. And they're complaining about how he'll stink when he decomposes and they'll have to worry about his smell. She's reading the letter about how we'll be together and you see the reflection in the window of them showing, shoving the coffin on the train. Then they go off together. He never meets her, 
But when he finally leaves town, he's created, he leaves with the Lee Lang tree. It is a very powerful scene with a tear coming off her eye. But this thing that was nice was the daughter never knows her father came back. I don't know. That was such a good scene in the movie, that conversation together. They meet, but he doesn't say he's her father. He just says, I was one of your father's marshals. So the marshals don't come back. No, the marshals are long gone. He alone wipes them out. And he says to his daughter, I just rode with him. Your father was a great man, not like me. I never measured up to your father. Very, very, very powerful scene. You describe yourself as a hopeless romantic, but to me, the section in Dillinger is another movie chip that he he wrote and directed this one, Dillinger, with Warren Oates, who he wanted for this movie. You know, Warren Oates from Stripes. That's for Chip. Only for Chip. Everybody else like, Warren Oates, we know him. And <laughs> yeah. um, Dillinger that doesn't work are the scenes in the middle when Dillinger, Warren Oates, and Billy Freshett go off together the the whole sort of romantic montage of them in the rowboat walking in the woods it looked like you didn't really have your heart in it however later in the movie during the big shootout billy frechette grabs a tommy gun and starts blasting g-men giving dillinger the cover he needs yelling run johnny run now that was romantic well loyalty is always a quality that i admire in people if people are loyal to each other, that's very meaningful. And then Quentin writes, note, years later, I use that exact line in Pulp Fiction. So that's the one where he says, like, loyalty when he's in the bathroom and he's talking to the mirror. He's like, loyalty, like, you know, don't fuck this up. You're going to go home. You're going to jack off. And that's all you're going to do. <clears throat> um, where was I? Okay. Uh, it's very easy to be in love with one another. It's very easy to be enraptured with ideas. But whether or not you can remain loyal is a test of who you are. That's the part. Loyal is a test of oneself. When you're given your word, it's very important. It's a moral test of oneself, whether or not you can maintain loyalty. Quentin. Warren Oates really represented as Dillinger, a real man of the 30s, brought to his circumstances through the climate of the times. However, I wonder if a more man of action type would have better suited your purposes. An actor like William Smith. You can believe uh, Michelle Phillips would kill anybody to save William Smith, not Warren Oates. So I don't know if you know William Smith, Chip, the actor William Smith. Um I can't think of anything he was in. He's like in these biker movies. He was in oh, okay. the losers and all that. Um, so, um, and Quentin's a big fan of William Smith. So I think he's like, oh, use William Smith. And he's better looking than Warren Oates. But <laughs> anyway, back to this uh, John Milius. Uh, Warren was always one of my favorite actors. I wanted Warren to be the judge. I thought you wanted Lee Marvin. Yeah, I did, but originally I wanted to make it a very cheap, wanted to make it very cheap, sorry. I wanted it to be my first movie and make it for less than we spent on Dillinger, actually. Shoot in Spain, in some crummy little town, a Sergio Leone leftover, and have Warren be the judge. I think Warren would have been wonderful in the role. Something absolutely terrific. As Dillinger, he was very good, but maybe William Smith would, would have been a more dynamic Dillinger. 
Warren really filled out that part as well. Since I brought him up, let me just say your casting of William Smith as Conan's father. There you go, Chip. He was Conan's father in Conan the Barbarian. It's brilliant. When I was living in Tennessee with my grandmother, I was in the fifth grade. I loved to go to the movies, but there weren't any theaters in our town. We just had one drive-in, the South Clinton drive-in. Except for Southern movies like White Lightning or Walking Tall, they never had current movies. It was usually exploitation movies, but exploitation movies from a few years earlier. So a lot of biker movies, which mostly starred William Smith, Chrome and Hot Leather, Angels Hard as They Come, The Losers. I love The Losers, the one where they go to Vietnam. Yeah. Big inspiration for Apocalypse Now. Really? The Losers? Yeah, bikers in Vietnam, surfers in Vietnam, same idea. I wrote a whole piece in film comment about how bikers are misunderstood. I wrote in I wrote in Easy Rider, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper died for the sins of William Smith. <laughs> William Smith is my favorite actor. He this is Quentin Tarantino. He's my favorite actor. He really plays bad guys, but I'd like to see him play more heroic parts. I think he's like Charles Bronson in the 60s. Like Bronson, I think he would make the transition to villain from villain to hero. There's no doubt about that. That's why I was excited to see him play a heroic part in Conan and not just some bad guy barbarian that Conan kills. Yeah, I love his scene in the movie. I love when he gives his big speech in the beginning, the riddle of steel. It's not much, but I love it. And the fact he fought valiantly for the village against the horde and was done in by a pack of Rottweilers. Haha, <laughs> they had to be Rottweilers to bring down William Smith. You produced hardcore for Paul Schrader. Yes, a wonderful script that turned out to be a lousy movie. I blame Paul's direction for that. So, Chip, I see Chip's getting bored. We're coming back and it goes full circle back to our movie that we're talking about. I heard at one point it was going to be Warren Beatty in George C. Scott's role and absolutely going to be Beatty's wife who runs off to do porno films and his, and not his daughter. That was just embarrassing. Beatty seducing Paul, like a girl talking him into it. So what, what you get out of that chip in case you're bored with my reading and you're falling asleep was uh, as opposed as, as everyone. Um, was that Warren Beatty went to him, went to Paul Schrader and was like, let me have the part. And instead of my daughter, let's have it be my wife that gets kidnapped. And Paul Schrader really thinking about it. And mm-hmm. so that's John Milius going, that was pathetic. Like Warren Beatty's <laughs> coming to like, you know, beg for this role. Yeah. Um, Schrader said they made him change the ending from what he'd originally written. Milius snorts. Nobody made him change anything. He did exactly what he wanted. I love his film Rolling Thunder. He wrote that for me to direct. He did? He wrote the script and gave it to me and said, this is your movie. Why didn't you do it? Oh, I don't know. I didn't think I wanted to do something that dark at the time. I interviewed the director, John Flynn, and he said Schrader's script was unfilmable. No, it was terrific. Boy, it was a good script with wonderful stuff in it. Paul at his best. 
So <laughs> that was the end. That's where it wraps back up into Rolling Thunder, our first movie that we did. <clears throat> and that's a script that now I want to go find Paul Schrader's original script for Rolling Thunder, because what's <clears throat> cool with that is the movie critic. I think I talked to this to Joe Merle about this with the movie critic. Um, Quentin is going to redo movies like he mm-hmm. did, like his cinema speculation book, but also like he's done with Inglorious Bastards and um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's going to change. So he's he asked Paul Schrader, can I do Rolling Thunder? Your script, you know, can I change it? And Paul Schrader, do what the fuck you want, like go for it. So <laughs> he's going to change that ending will be different like what we kind of read, I think a couple issues, a couple of episodes in, we read about that, but it's amazing. So I really liked that interview. I hope nobody was bored. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it was really good. And I knew that I couldn't get all that out with just saying it. I got to read it. So I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope it didn't take too long. Anyway, we're here for the life and times of Judge Roy Bean, 1972. The plot in Vinegroon, Texas, former outlaw Roy Bean appoints himself the judge for the region and dispenses his brand of justice as he sees fit. <clears throat> now, before I get into who stars in this chip, you were kind of because I want to hear from Chip, so it's not all me. And I want to take a sip while you talk. Um, <laughs> you were kind of nodding. I don't know if you I think you chuckled at a couple of that when he was saying that this movie was more of a Butch Cassidy. Did you think it was going to like one of our listeners thought it was going to be a rough thought it wasn't going to be a comedy? Uh, What I realized it was pretty early on was that it was almost like a telling of a Wild West fairy tale. Yeah. That, that's what it felt like to me. It was a, well, it was a Wild West fairy tale that was kind of um, a little bit larger than life. But I guess the way that I put it when I said it to myself mm-hmm. was that it was a Wild West fairy tale of an ignorant man. Yeah. Because he's not that bright at all. And yeah. he's basically kind of king of the dipshits. Yeah. And he goes really far on being the king of the dipshits. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Because nobody can stand up to them. They're basically, you know, if, if, if he thinks you broke the law, yeah. you're dead, you know, kind of a thing. It, it, there was nothing about it. And it was... So I was just kind of like, I, I was taken aback by it because I was expecting more of a much more serious kind of a, mm-hmm. yeah. and when you realize that the, that the funny part to it is the fact that the actual characters are very simple minded mm-hmm. when it comes down to it and making these huge decisions, people's yeah. lives are in their hands when they are not that bright. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay. And like he said, like this humor is a little like even when they first attack him and beat it and he like it's like a comical beat down yeah. and done like a little bit fast or something and there's something about Milius was his was funny but it was more like gritty and yeah. serious like he does gritty shit so um so uh starring paul newman as judge roy bean as we said he wanted warren oates in the lead but it was also sent to lee marvin who was making a movie with Paul Newman at the time. And Paul Newman was like, Oh, I like that script. I want to be in it. And then of course, John Houston, I think was like, Oh, Paul Newman. Cha-ching. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also from John Houston, you and I've seen uh, 
on our other podcast. It's on our list now. Asphalt Jungle. You're like, I want that grit. I want that. But yeah. no. Uh, Victoria Principal is Maria Elena. Anthony Perkins is Reverend LaSalle. And this is where I wrote he was having an affair with Victoria Principal and later married a woman named Barry, Lev Barry Berenson. And I explained all that about don't uh, judge what you hear from years. You know, it's like what I've heard now. And I don't know the end of it, but Kevin Spacey went to court and he's out of court. And basically none of that shut, none of that shit stuck. Yeah. So people are like, oh, can I enjoy my my Kevin Spacey movies now? Like, yeah. because we all automatically just were like, oh, I can't watch those movies now because of this fucktard. And now it's like, oh, wait, he may not be a fucktard. So, but he still is a fucktard. Uh, he, yeah. Because of uh, Anthony Rapp saying that, you know, when he was 14 years old, he. Right. Kinda... Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, you're still inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ned Beatty as Tector Kreitz. Matt Clark as Nick the Grub. So I was telling Chip, I thought Chip with this movie would have been like me. Who's that guy? Who's that guy? I know that guy. I know that guy. Uh, he was the bartender in Back to the Future and spilled the whiskey and it burned the thing. Back to the Future 3, sorry. But was also in Buckaroo Banzai and Outlaw Josie Wales. Bill McKinney as Fermal Harley. He was in First Blood Deliverance. He was one of the guys that fuck Ned Beatty, which weird mm -hmm. him and Ned Beatty. I think yeah. he's one of them. And Back to the Future 3 as a train engineer. So then they're both in it, you know. Nice. It's funny. That's awesome. Uh, Steve Canale as Whorehouse Lucky Jim. So he was also in Dallas, Victoria Principal. Mm -hmm. And Dillinger that was written and directed by John Milius. So here's one, Chip, that this blew me away. Tab Hunter as Sam Todd comes into town. He's stuttering. He's talking mm -hmm. the first time I met the judge and they're like, we got you. And he's stuttering. And uh, he's the guy that stole the 90 bucks, the jar. And, well, we found the jar. You were fucking you're guilty. Yeah. Um, but I was like, that's Mel Tillis because he was stuttering and he looked like Mel Tillis. I was like, no, that's Mel Tillis. And then I look it up and I'm like, oh, he's Tab Hunter, another gay actor in Hollywood who had a hard time, fucking couldn't be who he wanted to, just mm -hmm. like Rock Hudson and all these people. Um, and the other thing with Anthony Perkins was couldn't get out of that Norman Bates thing, like, yeah. you know, and then finally it was like, fuck it, I'll embrace it. Let's do Psycho 2, 3 and 4. Yeah. Um, up to this part though of, of him being this character, I was like, oh, that just I automatically thought of uh, if they were to remake this movie, mm -hmm. that I thought, uh, what's his name? That uh, I'm like totally blanking on him right now, but the uh, the Flash. Oh, um, the 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 in the movie Flash, yeah, that guy. Um, yeah, what's his name? Ezra Miller. <laughs> Ezra, Ezra Miller. Miller. Yeah. yeah. Well, the way that he was acting, I was like, holy crap, Ezra Miller would take this and just fucking run with it and <laughs> so. what was good is like things that are written that are real clever that was in john millie's script which was you know i you know i did steal a horse once and i'm just going to consider that this is why i'm being punished and this is why i'm being hung and then he goes i hope that they are hanging me with a good rope that won't break but, but and then they go they did <laughs> right as they hang him there's <laughs> you know fireworks and he's like they did yeah. or it was or whatever um, Jack Colvin. So do you know who this guy was played the pimp? Yeah. Cause that was the thing that I was going to say is that he's from the incredible Hulk. Yeah. 
and it's the other guy that's part of the gang um, that I always get confused with him as being on an incredible Hulk. I I think you're right. The bartender. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Is he? Yeah. Cause they both kind of have the same face. That's interesting. John Houston, the director of this movie as Grizzly Adams. Yeah. That was awesome. Stacey like the moment Keach. that the wheel came off, I was like, this has got to be him. Because I was like looking for him. And I was yeah. like, was he the guy that got shot in a dick? No, that wasn't him. And I was like running around <laughs> going, nope, not him, not him. Because yeah. at first I thought it was uh, the guy that was uh, had the two guns and he was and he was trying to, and his pants were down and he was trying to oh, shoot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, do I have any bullets left or whatever? And then he shot him. And I was yeah. like, is that? Nope, that's not him. <laughs> so. That was... Uh... The, in the script, there was a thing where he comes in, everything happened like in the script where then he's like, well, if I'm buying, I buy for everyone. But then he's like, everybody pays if I'm buying something like that. Says something else. And they're like, what? And then they attack him and take his money again. Showing off your money. Don't show off your money. And um, and then the thing of him being drug off his rope breaks. And John Millis explains that rope breaks because Roy Bean is not a guy who's a cowboy who needs yeah. a rope to do cattle or anything. He just buys a cheap rope or if he can get a rope, I need a rope. I get this rope. And so he's being drugged by it and it breaks. And that's a clever writing where you're like, well, how would the rope break? Oh yeah. He buys cheap rope. Okay. Boom. Um, but then something that was really cool in the script that isn't much, but I really liked it was he asked for a gun. She goes to get him the gun. And when she comes back, she hands it to him and he takes it. But in the script, she just drops it by his face, like in the dirt. And I'm like, oh, that would have looked better. Like just boom right there. Because um, he's like, where'd she go? And then she comes back. Stacy Keach is bad, Bob. Not dirty, Bob, but big, bad, bad, Bob. And the albino one. <laughs> yeah. Roddy McDowell is Frank Gass. Anthony Zerby as the hustler in San Antonio. So mm-hmm. he's from License to Kill, the guy that they put in the chamber and he blew up. Yeah, because yeah. I was like this one. I had to look up. I was like, who the fuck? Why do I know him? Uh, Jacqueline Bassett as Rose Bean. And Ava Gardner as Lily Langtree coming back to work with John Houston after awesome. the killers. And she's like, boom, you know, um, that's another gritty one. The killers written by John Milius. Directed by John Houston. So, you ready for some listener opinions? Oh, yeah. All right. Man, I don't even have an opinion. Well, you gotta have an opinion. William Keaton on Twitter wrote, I didn't expect this to be a comedy. And learning Milius had wanted this to be a gritty and violent biopic with Warren Oates, the structure makes sense. Houston turned the drama into absurdity, which attracted Newman to the part. It's completely over the top, but a weird classic, end quote. John Connell on Twitter wrote, quote, fun movie, if a little shaggy. Newman is great as always, end quote. And that's all for our listener opinions. All righty. So now we get to discuss this film. I get to let Chip talk now that I can rest. Um, (laughs) So I loved. So here's what what else was cool. And I told this to Joe Merle was I read this a while back. I I saw the movie, but I think I only saw half the movie. And I was like, that was really good. It was one of those playing on TV when I was young. 
Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh, I need to go back to watch that. That was really cool. And I never did. So all this time I've been like, how does that end? Like, I don't know what happens. Like, I don't know when I ended. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the script. So I read the script before I saw the movie. I'm like, how should I do this? And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to read the script. So I'm sitting in bed. I'm reading the entire script, 121 pages, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's th- right away. I'm like, oh, this starts out good. Like he's he did everything that he did on there, painting a mustache on the, and a beard, you know, and then putting, you know, 200,000 for the other guy, like all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, and then walking in there and being like looked at and then um and then it's just and then being attacked and like all these these hookers like trying to you know get with him and then they pull his gun and they take all his money and you know which is cool turning him upside down and yeah (laughs) yeah shaking all the money out of him Uh and then they drag him away and then he's like okay fuck it and so i advise everybody because i'm not going to go into this but if you look up this okay People don't like Wikipedia, but I like Wikipedia because at least it has, you know, uh, what do you call it? You know, here's where we got the idea. Here's where we got this information from mm-hmm. IMDB. You're just like, is this real or is this some fake thing? Like I can write in there like, uh, you know, Anthony Perkins had two dicks and people be like, well, that, he says that he had two dicks. Like <laughs> nobody checks it. Yeah. But at least it's corresponded with by here's a reference where it come from mm-hmm. so what i did was i looked up judge roy bean the real judge roy bean he was like a criminal like he went to california with his brother and then mm-hmm. came back and then ended up just stopping in a town and starting up a thing and found this this uh law book and was like okay i'm gonna be the law here and that was it and he ran it and there's a picture i'm gonna share i meant to share it earlier but i forgot of the courthouse with him out front and like all this stuff. Um, but so, so if you want to do that, read through the Wikipedia stuff all about him, it's really interesting. Um, and that place still exists. I think that building is still up there. So it's really cool. But anyway, so he's really into Lily Langtree Mm -hmm. and those guys show up the marshals, you know, and he's like, Hey, you guys, are you guys criminals? No, we tried to, catch his train but we kept getting shot at by the people on the train and it's he's like hard to be a criminal nowadays yeah and he, and then when he's like well i'm gonna make you all marshals and ned Beatty's like i don't i don't really like getting shot at can i be the bartender it's like okay <laughs> you're the bartender no yep. problem um it's very cool and um and so then so then there's a part that guy comes in drunk I looked up him. I couldn't find he's a stunt guy, another stunt guy just shooting up the place. And they're just sitting there playing cards. They don't give a shit until the guy says, uh, you know, he shoots these shoots Lily Langtree's photo, a picture on the wall. And he they just turn and shoot him dead in the script. Which is cool because it wasn't just him. It was like everybody just turned and shot. And at first I thought, like that he was this close to shooting her picture and they stopped him. But then I realized after that, I was like, Oh shit, he actually shot the actual picture. And then they shot the hell out of him. Yeah. In the script, it was a knife. Like he threw the knife there and Mm. uh, judge Roy Bean never took the knife out, just left it there. So later when she shows up, she's like, is that a knife in my breast? And Mm. he's like, yes, it is. Um, Mm. 
she's like who did just like in the in the movie like who did it like he didn't change some of the dialogue but some of the stuff he changed a little that was like uh um so then it's got all the marshals and the town's growing and what the another thing that the script would show that i kind of wish they had it in the movie that would have hit a little more as comedy was when he when the town keeps growing and you see the new signs like every time was okay we have uh different ethnicities of hookers Mm -hmm. on saturdays and so if you want to come you got to take a bath and then it would show uh you know judge roy bean's bathhouse ten dollars for a bath so now they got to pay for the bath to go pay for the hookers and all that stuff of like okay if you need this you got this or like when he took that guy's well you're getting this much for shooting at lily langtree and 52 dollars service fee you know or whatever it's like jesus and so then those the hookers show up with uh the guy don't make me angry you wouldn't like me when i'm angry shows up with him and he's like you just get out of town we're taking the girls and he goes to take the he's like and you'll go with me Maria Elena comes out and with a shotgun, like total Quentin Tarantino move that Chip would say, yeah. knocking her on her ass that he said on Rolling Thunder, like would have loved to see fly out, fly back through a door mm-hmm. and uh, shoots and they duck. And then she fucking blows apart the water, the water trough. And Which he's was like, cool because it happened twice. It wasn't just yeah. a gimmick where she shot it once and then fell on her ass. She did it yeah. both times. And fell on <laughs> yeah, her ass. Exactly. And then he's like, he's like, uh, you might want to leave, grab a fast horse or whatever. And she's like, okay. And she uh, jumps on a horse and there was something. And I forget exactly where John Millie's script, where he told one guy, like, take a fast horse. Like you could take whatever horse, just get out of town. It might've been the pimp. It's like, okay. And then later he's like, well, we need to get him. Go take a fast horse and take a faster horse. And he's like, he took your horse. He took the fastest horse. <laughs> like we can't. And it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Cause with the pimp, he said, he said something about taking a horse. Yeah. But then he said, but we, we hang horse thieves. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. He yeah. Out, That's what it button, was. He runs off. Mm-hmm. So. It's like, goodness. And, um, and during the real judge, Roy Bean would have the same thing where he's like, nobody drinks while we're having court. You mm-hmm. know, if we're having a break in court, then you can drink, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> so now these are things that I have written down. If you want to jump into anything, you can Bob Bean, Bob, Bad Bob scene is great. Yes. So and so when he came to town, he comes to town. He like he's just being bad and he kills that horse. Mm. And then he's like, cook that horse. And in the script, they actually cook the horse where I'm like, they cook the horse. Like I thought somebody would have taken him out by now. They yeah. make the horse. They feed him. Then when he's done eating, he gets up and he comes out and he's like, Lily Dang treats a whore and she's a bitch and da da da. And he's like, Don't you hear me? Don't you hear me? And nobody's coming out. And it's funny, but tense. You're like, What the fuck? What's going on? And all of a sudden, here he comes shooting him. And which was cool because it was like, I was expecting, like, I was kind of looking behind him to see a shot come from there. And I'm sitting and waiting and nothing. And then then they finally show him the camera goes to him laying down up top with the sniper rifle thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's he is going to do it, but he's just going to do it from up there. Well, and also when then later when they're like, he kind of didn't really have a fight like that was kind of, you know, it wasn't a stand up thing. He's like, well, no, I had to lay down to study my aim. (laughs) They're like, oh, stand up fight. We get it. And um, (laughs) 
and he just like you said they're just like okay and that's the thing where they're just going along with him okay but they agree like this guy's a piece of shit kind of like what the fuck mm-hmm. and so then i love the poker scene they're all arguing about they're playing poker they're in their game it's like chip playing his video game and here comes his wife being like hey i own this property and him being like i'm in the game just leave me alone and he's like, can't you see you're interrupting? And the guy's like, but this property for 100 miles this way and 100 miles of this is all my boss. And it's uh, it's Rowdy uh, McDowell, Roddy McDowell. Sorry, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. It's uh, Roddy McDowell <laughs> being like, I come to chew gum. No, that's the wrong movie. And um, so did you notice, though, that the judge got gauntlets, Stacy Keach's gauntlets on his wrist? He's got the oh, black no, and silver. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and um and then uh so um uh what uh yeah wearing big bob gang so so that part was it was great because you're thinking oh my god this is a big main killer it's gonna be a big thing and then boom he dies like right away like gets killed and and the way they did it like right through the chest almost a sam raimi type showing the hole but then just falling over right through it and i was like oh damn and for me that was kind of like oh quentin tarantino (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, so now it's the bear and killer scene. So so the lawyer is now the lawyer. They made a deal. He put him in the pen with the bear. Yeah. You got to pay $3 for a beer, whatever, for a beer, a dollar a beer until, you know, you get him drunk. You got to buy him beer. And mm-hmm. so then he's like, after 96 bottles of beer, then we made an agreement and all this stuff. So then he gets this poster, this like nice new poster of Lily Langtree that he's going to put up in the bar. And um, one of the other guys, they'll put it up with this glue. Yeah. You know, Tector, whoever did. And and in the script, it was he's putting it up and they're like, what's that smell? It smells like somebody fucking died in here. That thing stinks. And mm-hmm. the bear likes it and starts to. And so then he's drunk and he goes to bed. And then the bear starts eating the corner of the poster and eating the whole poster Uh, as opposed to what happened in the movie where he just kind of licked her and he got mad at that. But in the script, he eats pretty much mangoes that poster. He wakes up from his drunken stupor, comes out there and grabs a whip and starts whipping, like hitting the bear and beating the bear. And the bear is like whining and bloody and like over in the corner and uh, hit uh, Maria comes out and she's like, stop, stop, like enough. And so then he leaves. The judge goes away. He's angry. Then the killer comes in at night. And this was real powerful in the script where it was. It was powerful in the movie, but it was real powerful in the script because of that whipping, beating so much. He beat him. He was mad at him a little bit and kind of chased him away, but didn't beat him, beat him. You know, he threw a chair at him, I think, or something. Um, so then the killer comes in and they hear this noise. And they come out and the killer's dead and the bear is slumped over. And the way John Milius wrote that in the script was that the bear, even though got beat, he was still protecting his friend. Yeah. And so, um, so the judge talking about the bear choked me up. Like I was getting teary eyed. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and the way it was this way in the movie a little bit, but in the script, it was kind of like, what do, what do you want us to do with him? It's mm-hmm. like, I don't care fucking bury him out, like whatever. 
and he thinks they're talking about the bear, but they're talking about the killer. Yeah. And then he changes and he says, put the bear in, the, you know, the other guy doesn't deserve to be in the same ground as my bear. And yeah. he's like, also, we're going to build him a best, you know, fucking uh, headstone and all this. And they do it. So you see the headstone, you're like, oh, they made. And then you see it's got a fucking bear <laughs> on top of it. And you're like, yeah. oh, OK. Yeah, I was kind of like, what the hell? Like, that's like a big old porcelain, like looking awesomeness. And and there's a part in the script. Maybe it's for her. It was something he would always go to all the funeral to read the exact same thing that the priest read. He did a little bit in the movie, but he would do it more. And there was one where he didn't read it for his wife or whatever, for Maria later. Okay. But anyway, but the other great part that I wrote, jump in anytime, Chip, uh, when he's apologizing, when he's like, he's like, you with those whores, I go back to your whores and blah, blah. And the guys are like, what the fuck? And then they come in and they're like, hey, we have word to say to you. They're talking real loud. <laughs> we have word to say to you. And he's like, what do you what do you talk about? You called our wives whores. Well, they are. Look come on judge like here's the thing like just please like we're supposed to defend their honor and he's like oh well what do you want me to do well could you go out there and maybe you know <laughs> kind of slump over with your head, hat in your hand and your head down okay hat in my head head down okay i got it he walks over i'm real sorry for calling you ladies whores but at least i didn't call you fucking skeevy you know bubble like goes into this whole thing and they're just like what he did like called them like three different things and they were yeah. like <gasps> <laughs> yeah and he's like so for calling you whores i apologize and you're like oh shit well and they kind of set it up because the the monologue going over it was talking about how you know that they're the, the worst thing is you know that you cannot you know have a whore be converted to being a, a good woman or whatever yeah. because they learn how to Basically, they know how to uh, push your buttons and to be evil, basically, is the way he mm -hmm. kind of put it. And so later on, when this whole thing happens, mm -hmm. you realize how much power these women have. And I thought at first when he was going to go out there, he wasn't just going to insult them more. I thought he was going to basically threaten them. Basically, I gave you what you oh. have now. Yeah. And I will take it the fuck away kind of a thing. But he didn't do that. I was like, oh, he should have. Because you find out later on. When he comes back, that it's because of them that uh, the guy became mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Because like they said, when uh, Roddy McDowell was walking through the street and the girls were talking to him and he's like, they were kind of on his side. Mm -hmm. And I think Tector's doing the narration. He's like, they were on his side. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he had some people backing him up. And then, you know, that he can tell them they tell the marshals, the marshals come to the judge. Yeah. And it's all the women controlling everything, even though a judge is maybe a piece of shit, but it's all because of that manipulation from Roddy McDowell going forward. And which so in then, itself is how it got even worse. Yeah. Because he basically has he manipulates the women to manipulate the men to where they all do a vote of hands that he becomes a mayor. Yeah. When he gets into power, he fires all the men. The yeah. women leave the men. Yeah. Basically, all have shitty jobs and everything goes to hell because yeah. of his manipulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the um, there was a part in here that, and I'm trying to think of how you felt in this part, because in the script, it was powerful for this. He's writing letters back and forth to Lily Langtree. Her assistant is writing letters back. Mm. You and I have seen it. I had somebody that I used to 
know on Instagram that was a James Bond fan. When I was doing James Bond movies, he was like, hey, I love your stuff. And I was like, okay. And he was a little slow. And, you know, he had issues. Mm. And next thing I know, he would write things like, I'm so depressed of it. And we would write him back. Hey, man, it's okay. Like, you'll be all right. And then next thing I know, he's writing how sad he is and depressed, but he's attaching this girl named Alexa or something to it, this wrestler girl. Mm. Then I'm like, oh, he just wants her attention. He's being miserable to want her attention. That's all he wants. And because he wants her to write him personally and be like, hey, and then, and it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And so so this part is like that's what's kind of sad is he thinks like oh her assistant wrote me it's good like no that's what they do like she's very yeah. busy and i'm also going to share real pictures of lily langtree uh on the instagram and the uh, twitter um so then you know ned Beatty's like oh she's coming to san antonio like when else can you come and see her like come and he's like okay i'm gonna go. hey, oh yeah he goes well, i can't it's really funny too the way he does I can't. I got this place to run. I got judge. I got to judge things. I got to do this. I got to run this whole town. And they goes, and not to mention, I got a wife with it. You know, you're pregnant. I can't leave you. And she's like, no, we can wait. You should go. Okay. Give me the Sears and Robot Cadillac. Like he's, <laughs> he's waiting for her to say, okay. So he could say yes. And then and at uh, first I thought, I thought realistically the way he was talking was that, you know, he was afraid. Like he yeah, was yeah. up, like, you know, he was basically just in denial of no, I cannot do that kind of a thing. Like, yeah. like he's a big, he's he's talking a big game. Yeah, about yeah, her, yeah. But he could never see her in real life. Yeah, yeah. And so then he gets full on tuxedo. Gets I need tails. I need this. You know, orders it for eleven dollars. His wife was confused. She's like tails because she's yeah. thinking like animal. And he's yeah, like, I was waiting for her to be like like a like a jackass. Yes. Um, and then he goes to town, and I wrote here that he's out of his element. Mm-hmm. and everybody's he, making fun of what he's, he's wearing he's thinking he's dressed dapper and cool but yeah. guys walking by him in regular suits are just like what the fuck why is this guy wearing a tuxedo like what's going on yeah. and and um goes in there and you know gets a hotel and gives that guy money for even the even the the uh the wait staff like the butler like the what do you call it the bellboys are like all laughing at him mm-hmm. they're all nudging each other and so then he goes to her and this is sad so in the script it was sad in the movie it was sad because he's like hey i come here and give me front row seats and the guy's like i can't we're sold out and he's like well 200 bucks it's like no 100 bucks no 200 bucks 300 i'll give you 300 bucks he's like hang on gets a manager he's like look i'll pay you whatever the guy's like we can't we're sold out for you know the whole thing we've been sold out and he's like He's like, well, no. and then they close the thing on him. So now he can't. And and if you watch it, because I was watching it because I read the script already. The guy behind him, when he pulls his wallet out and he's got all the money, the guy behind him, who's the guy from License to Kill, is like, yeah. oh, money. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then he's going to everybody trying to be like, hey, you sell me your tickets. And there was a part in the script where he goes to this guy, he goes, he goes, sell me the tickets. And the guy's like, no, I'm going with my wife. And he goes, ah, she's a cow anyway. What do you want to go with her for? And she's like, what? And so then the guy's like, no. And then the cop, it's cool that the cops don't, but the cops are just like, well, judge, make it easy. Just keep going. And then he goes to that one guy kind of secretly. Come on, man. 200 bucks. And the guy's like, no. And then 
our guy, Anthony Zerby, comes over and is like, hey, I, I actually work for the place and I can get you in. And and so this is where the simple starts coming in. So when I'm it isn't just him being simple minded, but it's also that he is that arrogant that when they were starting to close the thing on him, he's like, but I'm Judge Roy. And they closed it on him. He's like, oh, what the, you know, yeah, like that means anything here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's the thing of him so wanting to see her that he doesn't see it. You know, normally he's, you know, when he's sitting there with the guns under his little blanket and those marshals show up and he pulls the guns out and he's like, hey, guys, well, uh, you know, give, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this one, he's not like thinking, oh, like it's a big city. He has no idea. And all of a sudden, you know, that guy's like, go over here to the door. He's like, hey, you'll need to give him a little bit. OK, OK. And he goes to give him. So thank you. Here's a hundred for you. And here's some. And all of a sudden they. Thump him over the head. He's knocked out. He wakes up. All his money's gone. And in the script, I was like, oh, shit. Like, how's he going to pay for his room? How's mm. he going to like any of this? And so then he goes back to the. So then next thing you see is him walking to the hotel. But then it cuts to the train arriving. Yeah. In the script, it's kind of cool, but kind of one of those like, oh, it just happened to be things. But I liked it was in the script, he goes into the hotel and he sits down and other guys are sitting there. They kind of look at him at first, like you're weird, you know, you're dressed weird. And then they stop looking at him and they just, he's fine. And then all of a sudden there's a girl at the counter and she's counting money for the night or whatever. And she opens this box that she puts money in and it's a music box and it's playing Yellow Rose of Texas. And he's like, oh my God. And he goes over, he goes, I, I need that music box. And she's like, no, we use it. He's like, I'll give you a hundred or $200. And I'm thinking, where's he going? And he takes his hat off and he gets in the bill of the hat inside the brim. And, uh, he's, like, oh. and he's got money hidden in there. And he goes, and he goes here and he buys it. And then he shows up on the train and he's got it. And then the guy's like, Oh, the kid's okay. But she's, you know, in, in dire straits and we're yeah. calling the police. Yeah. They're called I mean, the- calling the doctor. Yeah, they said they called her for the doctor four days ago. Yeah. And so then he goes in there, he's talking to her and she and he plays her the music box and then she passes away. She dies and he just gets up and walks. It really good. Just walks out. He's in his own world, sits down in the rocking chair outside mm-hmm. and they show up with the doctor. And you can see Ned Beatty's looking at him like Ned Beatty knows as he's walking by like, oh, she's dead. And then they show up with the doctor. Here's the doctor. And they don't know. And it's one of those sad moments that you've been in where you're like, oh, this guy doesn't know. It's like, you know, um, like with you and a dead dog that we won't talk about now. But, you know, everybody else is like, what? Tell us that story. No. Um, Where nobody knows how hard it hit you or that something happened. So they're just like, we got the doc, doc. We're okay, You know, or judge, we're here. And judge pulls that fucking doctor out of the thing. He's like, we're going to string you up, strings him up. And they're all just watching because they're like, we can't do anything. He, he'll fucking shoot us. You know, he's in his depressed mode, whatever. And he's going to hang the doctor. And then uh, the mayor shows up and is like, let him down. Uh, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper, uh, <laughs> Rowdy McDowell shows up and is like, let him down. And so he finally just drops him and he's like, He's like, you know, you realize blah, 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 whatever. Doesn't he say something to the doctor? And 
And then so then it's around it's at this time where I think in the script, it happened a little later where they're like they kick him out of town. And or in the script, in the script, they kicked him out of town. In this one, he was just like, I'm gone. Like, I'm leaving. Yeah, because at that point in time, this is where you realize that Roddy McDowell's, you know, his character's plan has come yeah. full circle. Yeah. Everybody has voted him to be mayor. Yeah. And he he's telling him this bad news that basically you have no power anymore. I'm the mayor. Yeah. Right at the time that he's his wife has just died. Yeah. And they had said before that, right, about you can't just hang people out in the street. Like, you can't yeah. do that. And he was like, why not? Like, it teaches the kids a lesson. And he's like, they're like, uh, no, everybody else does it behind the bar or behind the courthouse. And he's yeah. like, no, like, and so now it's come to the point where they're like, okay, now we can stand with him in solidarity. And so he's like, fuck it. I'll leave. Doesn't say just leaves the baby there and leaves. Yep. Now here's what is so cool. Everybody read the script. If you want, if not jump to the last 20 pages, whatever, <laughs> but cause everything was pretty much the same except this ending and the movie went over budget because they added this other ending. Oh, okay. The other ending would have been a shootout as well, but you want to walk through the movie first or the script first of the ending? Uh, just do the movie first, I guess. Okay. So, so then he shows back up in town mm-hmm. and he's talking to Tector and Tector's like, like, Hey, he's like, where's my daughter? And she's there. And then He's like, I know you don't have much to say, you know, and like Quentin says, it was a good thing of them talking. It was he was like, you know, I'm much to say. I understand I'm a piece of shit and da da da. And then they sit down. He's like, sit over there. That's where your mom used to sit. She's like, OK, and they're going to play poker. And all the other marshals come in, ex marshals, and they all sit down. They're all playing. Uh, they're all playing poker. And he shoots that gun off right next to that guy's head. I'm like, even with blanks, that guy's got to have some good fucking protection. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and before before all this, we got to kind of mm-hmm. set it up. Okay, sorry. Because oh, yeah, it uh, went up through the years. Yeah, I'm sorry. It went through the years and everything. And when it comes to this, they show the daughter and they're basically showing that gangs have taken over. It's taken over by the mayor. He's got his own little group and everybody listens to him. And they're, they come in and basically threaten him and say, we're evicting you and she pulls out a gun and basically scares them off and they said you know tonight you better be ready yeah, at midnight out. yeah yeah and at that point in time when they go out and they're kind of like kind of like realizing okay it's just the two of us or whatever and they see off in the distance the only person riding a horse looks a mm-hmm. lot like her father yeah it's kind of takes off or whatever and and even uh even though her I guess she was calling him uncle Ned Beatty's character um, mm. that raised her was kind of like, nah, no, like he wasn't sure if it was him or not just yeah. like and wasn't going to get his hopes up. So then they're basically inside that building, got everything kind of, you know, uh, got every, they got the tables and stuff on their sides up against the door. Don't want to let anybody in kind of ready for whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden they get a knock at the door and they're like, oh, they're here. And then they've got their guns and ready or whatever. But then it's judge, the judge basically saying, it's, hey, it's me and I got the boys or whatever. And he's like, he's like, he thinks it's a ploy. So yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is bullshit or whatever. And then he hears the other guys talking and he's like, oh my God. And they open up and let everybody in. Yeah. The coolest thing about 
when they threatened him in the first place and she pulled down out a gun mm-hmm. said something about um you know being like her mother but then you know ned Beatty was like yeah and you got a little bit of your father in you too yeah and so i was kind of like okay that's kind of cool but it wasn't until what you're talking about, fast forward to them all be sitting at the table mm-hmm. and he Ed Beatty says they're coming and they're talking through that, you know, talking on the other side of that wall. And the judge shooting the gun by that guy's head, when he shoots, the daughter just doesn't even bat an eye. Oh, like she's wow. yeah. like she just keep wants to keep playing with him. Yeah. When he shoots, she just smiles and kind of says, Oh, well, and they then they finish their game. And I was like, Oh, that's fucking badass. Yeah, There's so yeah. much of her being his you know, his daughter. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that good character stuff that we talk about. So then he shoots through the door and then they all start shooting and then every all of them scatter his like the mayor and his own marshals and they're killing some of them. They all come out and they go to the dance hall. Right. And then he's up on the thing and that's where they're like, who is it? And he goes, justice, you son of a bitch. And he <laughs> starts shooting everybody. And the whole thing catches on fire like they're killing every, they're killing all the bad people you know the mayor the mayor's run away keeps falling in the water in the muddy water mm. do they kill him or he just gets out of town Basically, at the end where the way that it's set up is uh, while everybody else is getting shot or shooting other people yeah. he's following them on the horse when he goes inside he goes follows him with the horse he's on the horse gets to the top it's not judge Roy Bain or whatever from the top of the damn thing and goes yeah. back in and that's when the whole place like explodes yeah. so basically the the the, the mayor the yeah, the mayor and him judge. both go yeah. in the same explosion cool um yeah and then and then it's her and tector right and then so then everything's burnt all the new stuff is burnt yeah. All that's left is like the old town in the in the old west town, like in the 1800s, because now it's 1901 or whatever it was, yeah. or 19 yeah. something. There were cars, so it was 19 something. And then, then Lily Langtree shows up because she wants to hear. She's heard about Judge Roy Bean. She's mm-hmm. heard about a la- a town named after her called Langtree, Texas, and so she wants to see it. And she goes there and gets out, and they show her around. Or he's like, hey, and she's like, it's a judge. He's like, no, he, you know, he died in a gunfight. Like he doesn't say like the other day, he says like he died in a gunfight a while back. Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, and the way he puts it is he cashed his chips in and she looks at him funny. He's like, he he passed away. (laughs) Like he had to (laughs) yeah. Understood what that meant. And um, and so she's there, and it's the thing of him, it's he's like oh here and he brings out the law book and he goes here's a letter that was that he want you know that was it that he put down on the table that we didn't realize but here's a letter and she's like okay and then she goes oh a gun is that his gun yeah that's his gun can i see it you can can i buy it he's like you could have it he would be more than pleased for you to have it she's like oh my gosh and she takes it and then she reads a letter and it's really good and poignant and sad and she's smiling like wow i didn't get to know this. i wish i could have got to know him mm-hmm. and um but then again if she met him in person <laughs> it's like print the legend is one of those she might be like what an asshole um and then it kind of it fades to black right after she's reading it and she's gonna leave and then it fades to black and that's it yeah and now in the script such a better ending in my opinion 
still mm-hmm. had the reading of that at the end, had him leave the letter on the thing and had all the guns laid out that they had gotten from all the bad guys. It was almost like a museum. Yeah. And there was a part, though, where Judge Roy Bean comes to town to see Tector. And Tector's like, oh, my God, I thought we heard stories that you might have died or whatever. He's like, no. And he goes, is my daughter here? And he's like, yeah. He goes, well, don't tell her it's me. He goes, just tell her that, you know. And so then she's like, who are you? He goes, I served with your father. You know, I was one of the marshals and, you know, all the stuff that I read in the interview. Yeah. He's like, he's like, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be like him. I'm not as good as him. And she's like, oh, okay. And then during this, though, they talked about the exceeding how the town grew. Yeah. And it grew and a mob element came in like they talk about in the movie too. this mob element. So there was a mob guy in there that was running the town at the yeah. dance hall. The mayor had already left. He made his money and he left like years ago. Oh, okay. So this mob guy is in there and guys are running around kind of like they show with the, the guys with the Tommy guns shooting at each other. Yeah. So they're at the dance hall and they come to take the place and she, you know, and they say Tector says no or whatever. And the guy leaves and Tector's Tector's now like the head marshal or whatever. He's the only oh. one left. Yeah. And so he's showing he's showing Bean around and he's like, and here's a dance hall where they hang out and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I forget how, but they oh, and she's protesting. Um, she's protesting about them and about their rights and all this. And they grab her and they kill, I think, a bunch and they grab her. So she's more a subtle flower than, Uh, um, you know, and so they grab her and they hold her hostage in there. And they're like, you know, we're going to kill her, whatever we're going to do. They're making her dance. She doesn't want to dance. They're like forcing her to dance. And the judge is like, well, we need to go save her. And Tector's like, how do you? And it's one of those cool guy moments. Mm -hmm. Tector's like, how do you want to do it? He goes, we'll just, we'll go in shooting, you know, we'll just you and I, let's go do it. Texture's like, okay. And he goes, here's the, and he gives him guns and John Milley's big gun guy. And he's like, judge Roy Bean goes, oh good. Yeah. They're all the same caliber. So I don't have to carry different ammos. I can have all the same ammo with all these different guns and it'll work. So he's like, he's like, you go in and you play like you're scared. Tells that to Tector. So mm-hmm. Tector goes in with his hands up and he's like, he's like, I'm real sorry. And he's in the dance hall. He's like, please let her go. Please let my niece go. Like, I'm so sorry. Oh my God. And the guy's like, get on your knees or whatever, like all this stuff. And he's like, oh, and he's acting afraid, which I've never seen in a movie. I've always wanted that. Like somebody to be like, oh. and so he's acting afraid. Oh, Superman too. Yeah. So he's acting afraid. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door and they're like, who the fuck is it? And the guy is so into this thing of like, what's going to go on with this uncle and the daughter, this yeah. other guy, like one of the henchmen that he doesn't want to go. And the guy's like, answer the fucking door. And the way it's written is like the guy's upset that he has to answer the door. And it, when he opens the door, he goes, who is it? Who are you? When he opens the door and he's like, I'm justice, you son of a bitch. And just starts fucking shooting everybody. Texter jumps up with his guns. I just got chills. Start shooting <laughs> other people. The judge jumps down, like uh, shooting people up on the stairs and shooting all these people. She runs and goes and hides. And then uh, 
the judge is like behind a bar and one of the guys are shooting at him and they end up killing him behind the bar and the judge dies and Tector and her get out. And I think the whole thing goes up in flames. And so the judge is dead and she doesn't know that it's her father. Still, he said, no matter what, don't tell her that I'm judge Ray Bean. And so then when it's later, when Lily, that's right. Cause even in the movie, it's later because it wasn't just a couple days later because he's like, Oh, Rose went, she married some guy. Yeah. And, um, which in the movie, it's a picture of Michael Sarazen, which she mm-hmm. was dating at the time. So they just put that picture up, but it's like, you oh, know, he never shows up in the movie and he's kind of, he was in scanners. Um, yeah. So, so then that's all over with. And now it's later Lily Lang. She shows up just like she does, but there was a thing in the script where, he was like, he said, like, this is our town. She's like, oh, I want to see if it was true. I heard about Judge Roy Bean. And he says something. The way it's written is that she he can tell that her expression is glad that he didn't force to want to show her around the town. And she's mm-hmm. glad that he didn't ask to show her around the town because she didn't want this, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. And so then she goes in there and the judge before the shootout pulled out the letter and laid it on the table on the poker table. So when she comes over, um, he's like, we found this letter and he gives it to her and she opens it and reads it. And it ends the same way where the, and the guys are trying to fight on the script. So in the movie, it wasn't them fighting over the coffin. I didn't see a coffin being loaded in, which is weird now that I think about it. If it's later, well, no, in the script, it wasn't later in the script. It was pretty close in the movie. It was, she already married and she left in the script. It was, we're putting his coffin in and those two guys are arguing. Should we put it in the front? If front, it's going to smell everybody. Put it in the back. <laughs> it's just going to trail behind us. Okay. Um, so it was really cool. Just that shootout. I was just like, yeah. And that cool guy thing of, you know, who are you? Justice, you son of a bitch. Bam, 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 bam. Like, awesome. Well, it's funny because when you're talking about the, you know, the other guy pulling out his guns and then both just shooting. Yeah. All I was thinking about was lethal weapon and, uh, and Mark yeah. going, go spit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <I laughs> just start shooting. Oh, so good. Um, so, and that's the end of the movie. I got uh, a thing to read. Uh, in August 5th of 1973, in an article in the Los Angeles Times by Linda Strawn, titled Blood and Guts, Milius at War with Hollywood, Milius said, quote, Judge Roy Bean has been turned into a Beverly Hills Western. Roy Bean is an obsessed man. He's like Lawrence of Arabia. He sits out there in the desert and he's got the great vision of law and order and civilization and he kills people and does anything in the name of progress. I love those kind of people. That's the kind of people who built this country. That's the American spirit. And they say, what you've created is a reprehensive man. We've got to make him much more cute. So they changed it from a Western about royalty and greed and power to a Western where Andy Williams sings a song in the middle of the movie and the judge and his girl and a pet bear go off on a picnic. It's incredible. He goes on a picnic and sits on a teeter totter. It's a movie about Beverly Hills people about John Foreman, the producer and John Houston and Paul Newman. Wow. So, yeah. Which, you know, you could see you write this and you want it to be gritty. And then they put this out and you're like, and then you're like, okay, they're going to do the shootout. Good. Cause I saw the killers. I saw Asphalt Jungle. It's going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, wait, what the fuck? So 
Um, the music cue from the film entitled Miss Langtree and composed by Maurice Jarr appears in the 2019 movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino and is included on the film's soundtrack. Reviews. Vincent Canby of the New York Times called the film, quote, so entertaining and so vigorously performed, especially by Newman in the title role and its pretentious and its pretensions become part of its robust knockabout style. But then Variety wrote, the two hour running time is not fleshed out with anything more than scenic vignettes, sometimes attempting to recreate the success of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid with an Allen and Marilyn Bergman lyric tune and Maurice Jarre's music, something attempting honest spoofing of Westerns and sometimes trying to play the story historically straight. The overkill and the and the undertone do it in. So that's the thing with if you know Butch Cassidy and that kid, it's the raindrops keep falling on my head while they're riding around on the bicycle. Sam Elliott's wife, now his wife, in case you didn't know that. Um, like, and this did the exact same thing. I think this producer was like, Well, wait a minute, remember, remember four years, three years ago when this movie came out? It was a Paul Newman movie, they had this song, maybe we can get money from the soundtrack too. And a lot of people go see this movie and it's like, no, don't do the same thing. Like, Oh, it was a cute moment, but like, come on. Yeah. So I want to say, so in this movie, this is where our question comes up in this movie. Did you see anything that you think Tarantino might've liked or used in a film? Something that I noticed in the beginning was he comes into that bar when Mm -hmm. he's just Roy Bean and that guy goes, close the door. And it's that thing of hateful eight, like close the fucking door. How do I, you got to nail it shut. You got to nail it shut. What do yeah. I got? You got to nail fucking shut. This uh-huh. fucking door's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And the shotgun thing, like you said. Yeah. The shotgun thing was the thing that really made me think about it, it was the, the shotgun and then the hole and big Bob, bad Bob. Yeah. yeah. Those were, I mean, and it was, it was kind of cool because I think theatrically, Bad Bob was larger than life for a character to just kind of come out yeah. and boom, kind of a thing. So for me, it was, it kind of made me think of, you know, moments where characters kind of come in, like say Kill Bill, when the girl comes out with that chain thing, you know, yeah. ball and everything like that. And you're like, holy crap. And you're just like, you're expecting so much and you kind of get more than you thought of. I yeah. think with Stacy Keach, it was kind of like that kind of a moment. I thought that was going to happen, but then it was more about the character. Yeah. You know, yeah. being more intimidating than anything. You're like thinking, Oh, what's he going to do? But then he gets cut short so fast that yeah. you don't even get to see because they said that kind of wasn't fair, you know, kind of a thing. And yeah. I was going, yeah. Like if we would have saw a kill bill kind of a moment where there's a real shootout fight kind of a situation we probably would have saw so much more yeah would have been yeah or or that bad bob would have won because Mm -hmm. he's quicker on the draw or whatever but it was funny he's shaking his hands waiting like come on come on and the guy and he won't come out he's waiting in the fucking barn and it's also like you said not that it's quentin but the raiders of the lost ark thing where he's like that guy's twirling the sword around all this thing and he just pulls the gun out and shoots him and you're like well he's dead it's over. Um, I'm going to let you go first. What do you rate this movie? One out of five. Five being the best. I don't know. I, d- I did like it. I thought it was a little over the top. So I probably 
probably about three and a half, I guess. I give it four. Yeah. Um, but also my liking is I read that script. I saw the movie. The script is like I would put it up there with one of the best books I ever read just because it was cool. Um, not the best book I ever read, but um, it was cool because of the thing that they had in there of oh, everybody going the first time I met him, you know, Anthony Perkins being like the first time I met him was this. And then I died of dysentery later. And uh, yeah. I think he died of, you know, whatever. Um, all that stuff was like a cool little thing to put in there. But it would have been cool to see this gritty Western with war notes being like, oh, so good. Yeah. Um, would you buy this movie, rent it or find it for free? I did rent it. So I guess rent it. Me too. I almost bought it. I was like 10 bucks. Maybe I should buy it. I hear it's good. Maybe I should buy it. And then because that goes through, like I've said every time, like I think of buying all these movies. I'm like, we should own all these movies that we do. And then I'm like, ah, but how many times am I going to rewatch the Mysterians or, you know, whatever? And I own the killers already. Well, what sucks about it, though, is that like in the beginning, when when he was first talking about building this place and mm. he had Anthony Perkins with him. Yeah. And the way he was and his his I was like, I was thinking that this character was going to stick around. I thought he was yeah. going to be a part of this this whole movie and then when he's just like oh i left and i died of dysentery i was like and at that point honestly i was thinking oh i should have bought this movie this is going to be awesome Mm -hmm. and then the rest of it was such repetitive stuff of you know inflicting justice and everybody you know and him just changing his kind of changing the way he you know his his idea of what justice is yeah what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do and him just changing on the fly i was that's what started bringing me down yeah I was like, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, it was um, something that I liked. Anthony Perkins did this thing where he was ashes to ashes, dust to dust thing. He threw the he dust threw this way, through the dust this way, and then threw it behind him. I was like, oh, that's fucking genius. Yep. Like, you know that that's just an actor thing. I'm like, I'm going to throw it behind me now. Yep. Oh, so good. Um, So, yeah, I did I say I would rent it? I would rent it. Uh, I rented it. I'm glad I did. It was good. I'm glad that I watched it. It was worth the three dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready for Phil's film favorite of the week? Oh yeah. All right. It's Oppenheimer from 2023. The plot, the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. So this was I went and saw it in the theaters. It was pretty packed. The mm-hmm. theaters have been a little more packed lately, which is good. Yeah. And the sodas have been like AMC. You have your sodas to pick Coke, cherry Coke, cranberry, lemon, yeah, whatever. Nasty. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> not, not cherry Coke, but something weird. And, um, but all of those would be out except for regular Coke. Yeah. All of the whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And the, the, the lobby was full of people. And then you go into the movie, it's pretty full. Uh, and it was fuller than Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And people have talked about how where Mission Impossible failed is because, you know, that un, they didn't get as much money as they thought they would. But you only had a week or two weeks of time mm-hmm. to make that money before Oppenheimer and Barbie came in. Yeah. But my thing is, in a way, with that Mission Impossible is the only stunt that was really done is the driving off the cliff. And they showed that 
months before the movie even came out. So you knew it. Well, and it's not you just know. that. Uh, realistically, when it came down to it, um, the Top Gun sequel was so many years in the making. Yeah. Mission Impossible is Mission Impossible fatigue because there's been so many of them that nobody yeah. gives a fuck anymore. Well, <laughs> there's that. But also what was cool was it was um, they do have AI in there, which this was made in like 2020. But they have AI in there that is like, you know, that's what we're dealing with now with the writer's strike and all this stuff. So it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, there's something with, you know, there's people who are Mission Impossible fans and people who are James Bond fans. I'm a James Bond fan. I like the Mission Impossible stuff. I like the old TV show. Um, I like Tom Cruise, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. But anyway, Oppenheimer, I get five stars. Um, is a great movie experience. I don't think it's for everyone because it's a history lesson and you're watching an old, you know, a movie that takes place in the forties, you know, yeah. and then goes on through time. But uh, um, Robert Downey Jr. Fucking killing it. Like back to acting, like acting like he should be yeah. like fucking awesome. Um, yeah. Not just being, you know, Tony Stark, but being, you know, just really cool um everybody in this there's people in this there was the guy from uh, i don't know if you know american dad or uh or the um what's that the orville yeah the red-haired guy from the orville he was in yeah, this and uh what's his name from the boys was in it i saw yeah quite a list of yeah people. had him in it had um uh the guy from uh pearl harbor um and he's in all the guy Ritchie movies now what's his name pretty boy Ah, anyway, he was in it. All these people in it. Uh, Killian Murphy kicking out. Like there was times when I was like, he looks like the real guy right there. Like, oh my god, you know, um, Matt Damon, everybody. Um, and then what was cool that I was watching an interview that they were doing. It was, I don't think Killian was there, but it was, it was Matt Damon. It was uh, RDJ, and it was um, what's her name. And they were talking about Florence Pugh. Mm. They were like, somebody said, like, she did good. He goes, she's fucking phenomenal. She's amazing. And they were all talking about how great she was. And they were saying that, um, or no, it was whoever else was there. I forget. But RD, but Matt Damon was like, RDJ said, this is the new person coming up. These are the new people coming up under us that are going to tear it up. Yeah. And you're like, awesome. And she's naked in it. If you see it in America, you see her naked. If you don't, you won't. I've uh, heard it's I've heard they put like CGI clothing on her when she's sitting in a chair. Like they're both naked in chairs, like after sex, and they're yeah. just talking. And it's like, but in India, they covered her up with like a fake black dress or something. It's weird. weird. Anyway, so are you ready to tell them what's coming up? Oh, yeah. All right. So come back next week on August 4th for Oh, Battle Royale from 2000. It's a uh, Japanese or Korean, I forget. It's called Battle Royale. Chip's going to look it up, let us know 
what it's about. The, in the future, the Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and forces them to kill one another under the Revolutionary Battle Royale Act. Exactly. You thought Hunger Games was brutal? Oh, <laughs> you have no idea. Um, so it's playing on Hoopla with subscription. CW for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, Voodoo for free with ads. Tubi with ads. Do you have a library card chip? You can watch it on Canopy. Um, Plex for free. And Freebie with ads. So Freebie you have on your Amazon, everybody. And that's like a thing, whatever. You type in uh, Battle Royale from 2000. And it'll come up. So um, my thing says the same thing that yours says. All right, then. So, yeah, I'm excited for you, Chip. It's uh, let me find out what it is. It's Japanese Japan. Yeah. Produced in Japan. It's very cool. This is one of Quentin's favorite from they had him do like a 2000 to 2010 best of list. And this Mm. was on his like one of those. Nice. So, yeah. So everybody check that out. I told you where to find it. But here is a trailer, if I can find an American trailer, because Japanese trailers don't do anybody good here in the States. I hate that we're a United States American podcast, but, <laughs> um, you know, because Japanese people right now are like, hey, I could understand it or smarter people than us are like, I speak four languages, dude. And we're like, oh, sorry, Christoph Waltz. I didn't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, so if there's a trailer, here it is. Thank you for joining us. We hope you had fun and maybe learned something about a movie that may have had a part, although maybe not because it's in 2000, a part of making Tarantino. It's just a part that he liked. But anyway, thank you for joining us at making Tarantino. Goodbye. Bye.